Shot, y'all. And I am one of your hosts, and my name is... His name is Joe Marshall. Great. And this is my co-host, Dr. Jesse Ryan. What up? And we are here again, and this time we're in Santa Monica. That's right. That's where I live, y'all. I live in Santa Monica, right over there. So if there are you any, can almost see my house from here. Any Dr. Jesse Ryan stalkers out there, just hey, know wait a minute. Santa Monica is where you begin. Or those uh, who are intrigued by him. Yes, that's true. Okay, we are in the home of Sandra. And Sandra, I need help with your last name. Fialkowska. 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 Ah, great Italian name. We will have... A, <laughs> right? A, uh, the spelling of her name on the website, and uh, you can check it out. It's, it seems a lot different from the sound of the name. It's by yeah, no means phonetic. It's by no it's means ph phonetic. It's by no means phonetic. What language is it? It's Polish. It's Polish? Boy, it's a great oh, name. okay. It's I love Polish. it. Can you say it again, please? Fiałkowska. Just falls trippingly off the tongue. <laughs> wonderful. So Sandra is a filmmaker, a young filmmaker, who just graduated from Yale University, right? And me. In May. In May. Wow. And she directed a really interesting film that Dr. Jesse Rines and I saw at the Yale and Hollywood Festival of Film. But the thing is, you know, I mean, it's about college. So what can you say about a film? It's, it's just about college. <laughs> That's the name of the film. It's about college. And it is about college. That's right. Um, in case, for y'all, those of you who know um, anything about Yale, she was in Branford College. And what's Branford known for? You're not jocks. You're not um, the, um, um, what is it, the um, artist. What are you Branfordites known for? Well, we're known for our gorgeous courtyard. Uh, that is Some true. Some people have called us the snobbiest college, although I, I wouldn't agree with that. So I this is something so. I'm going to clarify, being a non-Yale person. Um, at Yale, at other colleges, we just call the whole place a college. But at Yale, the place where you live, the dormitory, is called a college. Right, and there are 12 and so, um, dormitories, 12 colleges. And now there's that new one, that temporary dorm over by um, Payne Whitney. Swing space. Yeah, swing space. That's where they put all the kids right. whose colleges are being renovated. Right. I What's going to happen to that? It's always full of some group of kids who are sort of sent out of their mm -hmm. college that's being Remodeled or oh, yeah, they're still doing the renovations. Every okay. year it's a different college. Yeah. Wow. So the thing that's pertinent about this is the fact that Sandra, through her entire time at Yale, or pretty much most of the time she was at Yale, she made a film, and uh, a digital film. And the thing is, she made one film. This film took four years for her to shoot, right? Right. Four years to shoot, and... Um, it's really quite a good film. It really tells pretty intimate details about who? About my three freshman roommates hmm. and myself. So it's a feature-length documentary about our four years at college, and I mm -hmm. filmed them through all four years. And how did your friends feel about that? Well, at first, they didn't really take me seriously. They thought it was a fun sort of prank. That's kind of what happens with experience. our podcast sometimes. I know. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> People don't take it seriously. That's and then they're right. like, wait a minute. I don't know. Wait until we get those advertisements. People <laughs> are listening all over the world. <laughs> so at first, they just thought it was one of those, you know, oh, look, it's our film major roommate playing around with the camera type thing. Uh -huh. But when I came back the following year and the following year, then they got used to it after a while. But by senior year, when they realized that I was really serious about it, and it was going to be my thesis film... There was some nervousness, apprehension about it. Because mm -hmm. they were pretty open about... 
they were really their open lifestyles. About it. Yeah. Like, they said some things in there that were like, wow. Yeah, there was, this there, is was there was some touchy stuff in there. You know, like, also, even they, about those dreaded secret society. There was some secret society talk in there. I want to ask about that, but also. They were just in their pajamas or, or whatever, you know. Less than pajamas, a towel sometimes. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed those parts. With their, their current boyfriends laying yeah. atop them, things like that. <laughs> so it was a it was pretty uh, intimate little film. And have they all seen it? They have all seen it, yeah. They didn't get to see it until I made the final cut. Really? Um, She's pretty strong. So you <laughs> just kept... Wow! I knew it would be a real problem if they, uh -huh. they saw it first. And just from a filmmaking standpoint... Having people over your shoulder when you're editing is like, it's paralyzing, mm -hmm. so... What did you edit on? I edited on Final Cut Pro. Okay, so in your computer? Yeah. On this computer right here? Um, I used, when I was in college, I used, there was a really fantastic uh, editing center called the Digital Media Center for the Arts, and they had mm -hmm. uh, much faster computers than that. But when I came home over the, over the summer to do color correcting, I did it off that. What she has wow. here is a PowerBook G4 uh, laptop computer. And, you know, in the credits of your film, I noticed that you thanked a computer guy I did. profusely for saving your film. He what is happened my hero. there? Midway through, I think it was in March, I was basically 85% done the whole project. And I, I stored it on a Lysia hard drive. Uh -huh. And they're supposed to be like the Porsche of hard drives. The Lysia hard drive, yeah. yeah. And, and then one day it just crashed. It was 11.30 mm. in the morning. And it just crashed, and I was in shock. And uh, the director of the editing center is this amazing man named Lee Faulkner, mm -hmm. um, who just runs the whole facility and just knows everything. Uh, he came, and we spent the next 12 hours until 11.30 at night. No one, we didn't leave the room, no one took bathroom breaks, no one ate. We just were trying to get the information back, and finally, 12 hours later, he was able to like open it up for a 15-minute window where we could take all the data and put it onto another drive. Oh my but gosh. It wow. was like We want to send a shout-out to Lee, Lee Faulkner. Faulkner. That's yes. right. That's right. <laughs> Filmmaker's you know, friend. Let me say that um, this might be my film bite right now. Back up your stuff, y'all. Back it up, yeah. Back it up, I've back it up. I've two more hard drives. Well, one of the things about uh, when you make a digital film is that, that you also have the tapes to go back to. And if you, again, this is something we talked about earlier, if you don't break time code a lot, if you don't uh, stop the camera, take the tape out, and things like that, you have those tapes as a backup, and you'll be able to recapture them again. I don't know what the situation here was. Maybe she used a lot of different medium or something. Yeah, no, I definitely have. Media. I mean, I had over 70 hours of tapes. 70 hours? Yeah. 70 wow. hours. So, I mean, the, the feat, it was a huge feat of, like, organization and cataloging, just to find that exact moment of when you wanted mm -hmm. to put in the film. But um, the problem with the tapes, though, is they do begin to decay after a couple of years. And mm -hmm. I had four-year-old tapes, mm -hmm. so sometimes there'd be some munching where you'd lose yeah. some quality oh, right there. So tapes are definitely the cheapest way to back up. But um, they, they do age. Mm -hmm. But Lee would always say his mantra was like, if it doesn't exist in three places, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and I, I think agree. that's I like a that. fantastic. If it doesn't exist yeah. in three places, it, it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Yeah. That's wow. good. That's good. That's good. That makes a lot of sense. Because the, all the different types of uh, storage devices do decay in some way, and mm -hmm. they're all very fragile. And Definitely. you're just dealing with um, little bits of information. So where are you from? I'm from Canada originally. From Canada? Really? Yeah. What part? Ottawa. Ottawa. You speak French? 
I guess so. Aren't you required I'm to? I'm supposed to speak for <laughs> Isn't this something? You're breaking the law. We could have her arrested. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're we should no cut that part out. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Because you're right. Because she's a very her. nice woman. You're right. Yes. So we need to do that. <laughs> but, um, so your parents sent you off down here to these lower states and said, <laughs> go off and make a film and make us proud. Is that right? <laughs> they didn't say make a film. They did say make us proud. But they're definitely... Obviously, hugely supportive. Really, they were. Mm -hmm. well, well, weren't you supposed to be a doctor or something like that? There was definitely that. You know, parents are always hoping you will choose some sort of, you know, career with some kind of financial security or security in general. Mm -hmm. But when they, I mean, I've always wanted to go into film. Ah, so you I did. Kid, okay, forever. well, this goes right where I was going. How did you decide to do this? And especially, did you come to school saying, "I'm going to make a film about my four years in college"? I definitely came to Yale knowing I wanted to study film, um, and I specifically applied because I had a really great film program as compared to like Harvard, um, but I didn't know that coming in I would want to make the documentary. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to play around, because mm -hmm. in high school all we had was theater, and I did a lot of theater in high school, mm -hmm. and I got so excited when I came to college and suddenly there were cameras and you could rent lighting kits and mm -hmm. there were classes, and all the other freshmen... I think I was the only freshman girl who was into film, but there were about 10 or 15 freshman guys, and we all wanted to just start making movies, and so I just remember bringing home an XL1 and playing around with mm -hmm. it on the weekend in the dorm room, and just started, just by... What's an XL1? The, the, the Canon camera. The, okay. um, the Canon XL1, it's yeah. a DV camera, it's yeah. a pretty professional camera. Where did you get that? That from the editing center. It was oh. like top of the line, but it was it's the biggest, the best kept secret at Yale. It's like, it has this incredible facility, but no one... Really it's really a great facility. Well, is there a it filmmaking really is. department there? There is a department there, mm -hmm. and, and, no, and no, every year that? it's been doubling. No, there's a film study there's center. There's a film study center, but they have production classes, uh -huh, and every year really? it's been doubling in size. Uh -huh. um, so now the major's like 60 people, Wow. whereas last year it was only like 25 or 30. Wow. Oh, I wasn't aware that they had a film. Yeah, yeah I, I was, because, you know, um, Charlie Musser then, mm -hmm. right? Charlie Musser and our friends. He used to direct it. He, he, still, he, still, he still directs still, yeah. it. Um, and we talked a lot about getting a film production program there, but they just wouldn't do it. So now they've found a way to do it because of um, probably um, the lack of expense you incur with um, video. Is that probably It's definitely, that? yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no production class in 16 or 35, mm -hmm. but digital is a lot cheaper mm -hmm. and... Um, you can't major in filmmaking yet, but okay. there are definitely a lot more film production classes. Mm -hmm. And what did you major in? In I double majored in literature and film studies. Oh. Okay, that's good. It's definitely still a huge theory background. Yeah, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I think is really smart. Mm -hmm. You mean theory mm -hmm. rather than practicality? Exactly. Of filmmaking. Right. Yeah. Well, were you required to to read that um, very interesting book called Black Film White Money? Um, written by classes? Dr. Jesse Ryan? No, in fact, I wasn't. What? I'm, Boy, what kind I'm of calling Charles. How cool is that? I'm calling Charlie on the phone. Maybe put it on the... <laughs> I don't know what's the matter with him. Regardless. Yeah. So, um... You... So, I, so I didn't come knowing that I'd make the film. Mm -hmm. But after the first month or so, um, I started bringing the camera home and filming it. And just by the fact that it was always on in the room, the girls got really comfortable with it immediately. Uh -huh. And there was sort of a novelty to it, like... Um, and they're just joking around in front of it, and some of them are, you know, not very inhibited, or, you know, mm -hmm. we just had a lot of fun with it, and so I just kept going, and it just organically led from there. For them, I think it will be a great thing to look back on also. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Because it's, it's really wonderful 
just from anybody who's been to college or anybody who's not been to college to see the progression of these people over four yeah, years, how much they amazing. change. Yeah, it really is amazing. I, I, it was, of course, it was very nostalgic for me, um, but it, it seems to me that this is the kind of thing that would be pretty difficult to, to do. What, what do you think was the influence of, the, um, what do you call those, the webcam? Um, on your decision to do this. I mean, you could have put this on the web and had a 24-hour web broadcast and probably made lots of money doing this. <laughs> so, I mean, did the knowledge that there were webcams out, out there where people stayed on camera 24 hours a day influence you at all? With those, like, real-world type shows? Yeah. yeah, but I was more interested in um, sort of intimacy that you can only really get with a one-on-one -on -one sort of interview with mm -hmm. having the camera, like, right there in your face. And I didn't really know how to sort of rig the room up Okay. And yeah. also, as a director, you're choosing what the interesting parts right. of the story are. Right. So you've kind of authored uh, a view of the way this college experience was and picked out the important things. And there are certain things that you comment upon also in the film. I think that one of the things that jumped out at me was um, the Jesse Jackson visit during mm -hmm. the janitorial strike. That was an interesting part of the film. There was a, for those of you who haven't seen the film, there is a janitorial strike at Yale. During the making, there are always film. strikes at Yale. I remember <laughs> always. that. Always, really? yes, yes, and they're very important. They do make a difference. They do actually make a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain amount of commenting that you make in the film on the experience, and certainly when you edit 70 hours worth of film down to just the important things that you feel are important for us to see, that's that's uh, that's uh, the difference between just having a 24-hour webcam and um, showing us a film about what it's like to go to one of these Ivy League schools. Right. But, you know, on the Jesse Jackson thing, I noticed you said in there, you pointed out that he was paid $35,000 um, for coming to do that. What's the significance of that? I mean, he's the sort of representative of political persuasion in some degree, and he's an incredible orator, but to some degree... I found sometimes Seth came to the microphone with a bit of hypocrisy because he got paid so much money to deliver a speech and there were all these people listening and they were living like they were getting less than um, a living wage mm -hmm. and that that in general frustrates me. I know that's very pretty standard in terms of politicians and speakers coming out and getting paid so much money but that in particular just really frustrated me that that there was such an imbalance mm -hmm. with these people. Yeah, that was actually a political um, 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 tangent to the film that, that interested me because I, I did notice that you you did that and I wondered why that was in there because the, the commentary was um, below the surface. You didn't come out and say it, you just showed that mm -hmm. on the screen. So it was clearly a, a critique and I'm wondering as um, a person who is, you know, you, you're from a fairly good school, um, how do you deal with that? That kind of... Yeah, how, how would you say, I mean, what does the, what you have learned at, at Yale tell you? How would you respond to your own film? I, d my experience at Yale was often frustrating in that regard because there is a bit of that hypocrisy. I mean, people have the image that an Ivy League school is for rich kids, and mm -hmm. that's not true. Mm -hmm. A large percentage are on financial aid, huge financial aid, and graduate mm -hmm. with huge loans. Yeah. Um, 
but it projects this image of like wealth and elitism which I address in the film mm -hmm. and as one of the characters talks about it is hypocritical I mean there is this this desire in kids when they go to college to um, speak out and be political activists and just sort of make a lot of noise to make a lot of noise but don't really know about the issues aren't mm -hmm. educated enough and I think it's great that they should be active mm -hmm. but my my experience was that a lot of them just didn't know what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. I think especially also out of 9-11, we came to college without sort of a cause, the way mm -hmm. our parents maybe had, might have had Vietnam or something. You were at Yale when 9-11 happened. Ten days into college, yeah. We, our first week of college was 9-11 happened, and after that, people really wanted to latch on to something, to, some, to start some sort of movement or something, mm -hmm. and it became that for a lot of people. Um, and and activism and about sort of local New Haven um, townies, like their right. rights became important to a lot of people. And it was really frustrating. I, mean, I worked in a soup kitchen for um, a year and every Friday night and to see dining hall staff come into the soup kitchen eating the food that we got from the dining hall to serve them wow. was horrible. That's and what actually happened? That actually that happened. I would go every Friday night, I would go um, work at a soup kitchen and we would get leftover food trays from the dining halls and bring them to the soup kitchen and the, the people who were, the clients who were coming in had Yale IDs and wow. around their necks and I recognized wow. them from, you know, from the kitchens and they had to come to So they, they were paying such a poor wage that their, their workers actually had to go to the soup kitchen to eat. To eat, yeah. Wow. And now I witnessed it myself. Mm -hmm. And that just frustrated me. And so when I found out that that's how much just Jackson got paid. I just, I was, mm -hmm. I was stunned. I mean, mm -hmm. and just the ratio between, um, it was just, I was amazing. Well, this is, this seems um, like something that, you know, like just happens. Given those sentiments, and Joel and I were talking about, about this recently, um, this question of um, immigrants who come to the United States. I mean, everybody wants the immigrants out and they're demonstrating against the immigrants and they've got a militia on the border. But the United States does not seem to want to um, crack down on the companies that are hiring the immigrants. If they weren't giving them jobs, if the CEOs and board members of these companies were in jail, um, probably the company wouldn't hire a lot of those people, and so you would stem that tide. What, is this something that maybe fits into the paradigm that, that you'd like to explore? Um, definitely, but I think it's the kind of thing where Outwardly, the government might critique, but I mean, America knows they can't survive without, you know, immigrant, immigrant workers. Mm -hmm. But what is Even it that here? they're not admitting? Or do we have this hypocrisy there that you're talking about on the national level? I mean, I think so. There's what? a very interesting film called A Day Without a Mexican that I mm -hmm. recommend people check out. Mm -hmm. It's like it's a film about it's a you know fictional film about what if. One day in Southern California, all the Mexicans disappeared. Right. Mm -hmm. And what would happen? Mm -hmm. And would it be able? Would we be able to function? Well, in the uh, '60s, there was another that. film called mm -hmm. Day of Absence, which was about the same thing in black community in the South. One day, no blacks showed up from work, and everybody freaked because of that. So there's a, we, in fact, we performed it at um, the Afro American Cultural Center at Yale. So there, there is this question of what can happen there. What do you think the documentary filmmaker's role is then? 
Um, a lot of, lately, especially with these films by Michael Moore and maybe some other people, there seems to be a discussion going on. Should there be a new category that is basically a, an op-ed Or cinematic piece, essay. Or a cinematic mm -hmm. essay. You know, sometimes, uh, I know documentary filmmakers traditionally have tried to stay out of it, you know, and observe things. So even that's impossible. And it's impossible. Mm -hmm. you, by... By choosing what you shoot, you're making a you're making a statement mm -hmm. by whatever you choose. Mm -hmm. Just what you point. It's your inherently yeah. political. Exactly. Yeah, it's inherently political. And then also editing it, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're completely right. But just deciding what to focus on immediately, you're drawing your attention somewhere. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, I agree, you should be as much a fly in the wall as possible. Mm -hmm. I think a documentary filmmaker's most important um, task is just to listen um, and to be as invisible as possible. That's mm -hmm. why, in terms of technique. I try never to look at the camera, and I never have boom mics. If I use mics at all, it's a shotgun mic on the camera or um, a radio mic on the person. Oh, okay. Because I found that whenever mm -hmm. I would sort of look down at the camera to see how I'm doing, they snap out. I mean, whoever I'm interviewing would snap out of it and become ah. self-conscious immediately. Well, you mean as a director and camera person in yes. your case. Yes, yeah. Then you would make would sure that me. you never glance down. Never glance down. Because you were having, you wanted to be in conversation mode with the Definitely. person. Definitely, just like this. Okay. Definitely. Okay. So you didn't want them to look at the camera no, either. No. Okay. Because That's then, then they take on this sort of performance uh -huh. quality, mm -hmm. which immediately cuts any sort of immediacy or intimacy. They become mm -hmm. aware of you. You're aware of them. The viewer is uncomfortable. It's. I remember it in particular with this one sequence in the film where you had a bunch of drunk guys. And they started to get kind of hostile about yeah. the camera. Yeah. They were like, let's turn the camera on yeah, you. On you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what mm -hmm. was that situation like? I wanted to show that because um, I wanted to show that conflict. Mm -hmm. I was facing that a lot just in filming. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to sort of create a bigger picture of like this was the scenario. It was me in college filming them. And I thought it was also really funny um, that when they turned on me, I immediately froze up because I'm just like mm -hmm. so uncomfortable with <laughs> my cameras. I'm so conscious of them everywhere. Uh -huh. So and I thought it was also pretty unfair that I'm in my own, I'm making a movie, but I'm not in it. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. so were you, um, uh, you were in theater in high school. Were you a director or were you an actor? What, what, what were you doing? You weren't in film. You said you were in theater, theater, right? If there had been a film class, I would have been all over that. But mm -hmm. there wasn't. Um, I was mostly writing and directing mm -hmm. and like stage managing. That okay, so you, you, so you really weren't used to having that attention really no. focused on you. Uncomfortable, huh? It's a control issue. I really think it is. That's uh -huh. why I really admire actors because uh -huh. they're able to give up that control. Mm -hmm. But I had experience being background in a film last summer, um, The Squid and the Whale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I worked uh -huh. on the set last summer um, as um, a PA and as an assistant to, to the director. And because... It was a very, very small budget. They had mm -hmm. all the interns and PAs act as background in the film. Uh -huh. And I, there was this one scene where they asked me to be background in a shot, and I just, I couldn't handle the makeup artist and, like, the hair woman. And the fact that they would make all your decisions for you, uh -huh. I think I'm too much of a control freak because I couldn't give up. Uh -huh. I like just being on that side where you actually call the shots. So does that make you an Aries? No, I'm a cancer. Come on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know. My mother's know, an astrologer, and she, oh, she would is. have asked that question. Yes. You know, uh, on your wall here, you have a lot of different colored pieces of paper with writing on them. Right. Could like you that, explain no. that to us? This is um, a season arc for a TV series that I'm developing. Season arc. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? A season arc is like a 
outline or breakdown of a series into its component episodes? 13 weeks, or if it's a weekly show, right? Yeah, weekly show. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you ever really done yet. But. Do you ever um, extrapolate what might occur in the second season, third season, oh, yeah, fourth definitely, season? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But it's not as specific as this yet, mm-hmm. just sort of where the character is going to go. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What do the different colors mean? They're color-coded by character. Or if there are two characters that are sort of in a relationship or very closely attached, then they put them together. Mm-hmm. And this is a process that you came up with yourself, or did someone show this show this to you? I just came both? up with myself. I like I'm just, it. I'm a visual. I like mm-hmm. how I can just move it around. I find that grease boards aren't big enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people do things on grease boards to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but index cards are the traditional way of, of doing it, so you can reshuffle them. But um, this is good. So she's just got them up on her wall with tape and... Um, um, let me reference the photograph that we hope will be on the site. <laughs> we'll see how it turns out. Right. Now, uh, when you start writing the script. Yes. I've already written the pilot. You've already written the pilot. Yes. Did you write the pilot first and then go to this, or a little bit of both? Um, I, a little bit of both. I had written the pilot, I had an idea for the show and sort of the types of characters mm-hmm. and just wrote on my computer and then wrote a pilot and then develop the series further, like, where the characters would go. And then when I got here, I just put it up. And then what are you going to do with it? Um, well, I have a manager currently who mm-hmm. is um, shopping it around, and she asked me to write a spec script, which is like a writing sample mm-hmm. of a current existing show that's on the air mm-hmm. uh, that just shows that I can write in different styles and different voices, not just my own. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing that right now, and, um, and then I'm going to... Um, sort of flesh out the rest of the season because I haven't finished it yet. There's some gaps and things like that. Well, um, I'm interested um, in knowing now about your trajectory going from college student Mm -hmm. to intern PA to um, um, person who's writing a pilot for a scene circle, what is it called? Scene arc. A season arc. arc, A season arc. How did that happen? Where did you, how did you decide to well, how did you go about getting an internship? Um, were you paid? Um, were you, um, you know, like information okay, the, for other the people? Storyline. Um, in terms of Squid and the Whale, uh, we got an email. Charlie Mosser, actually, the head of my film department, got an email from one of the producers of the film saying that they were going to be shooting a film that summer in New York, and any students interested who would want to work on the set, please apply. Mm-hmm. And no, no one got paid. I mean. The actors got paid less than scale. It was mm-hmm. very, very, and it was amazing. I mean, it got nominated for an Oscar. It was huge. Mm-hmm. I must say, it's a great yeah. movie. One <laughs> well, of my favorites this year. Well, no comment. No <laughs> comment. <laughs> it's definitely polarized. It's definitely polarized. Like yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but during college, I just, every time there were opportunities for internships that were posted online, then I would just apply. And then. And it didn't matter that, that you weren't paid. I mean, there was um, there was a great sort of fellowship for junior junior film studies majors mm-hmm. that if you were applying for an internship in film, they could give you a little bit of money to sort of get through, pay for a sublet, this right. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the great thing about a film set is they feed you. Right. So, no right. problem. Um, Not necessarily the best of food, I'll no, tell you. that's true. Um, and... In terms of my own projects, when I finished the film, um, I was home for the summer correcting it, and I, I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer and move into that, and I knew I'd be coming to LA, and I 
definitely one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from another writer was A, don't go to LA until they buy you a ticket and B, don't go to LA unless you have something to sell. Because mm -hmm. I found that for a lot of my friends here who've come and have since left as a young aspiring filmmaker or writer, it's really easy to get cynical really quickly mm -hmm. if you don't have any sort of success or leads mm -hmm. and then even though they were very ambitious and optimistic they would come here and six months later they leave mm -hmm. without giving it a shot I'm, I want to ask um, Sandra to um, um, repeat that inadvertent film bite that's a film bite? <laughs> I think that's a film bite I think that's a film bite the first is don't, don't go to LA until they buy you a ticket and the second is, um, don't come here unless you have something to sell. That's, if you want, if you want to be a filmmaker. That's 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 a very very. Well, interesting I'd like to take. hear that's what good. our listeners have to say about that. Please, yeah, please write email me. us. Where do they write us? At filmshots at gmail dot com. Filmshots at gmail dot com. Or you okay. can email Dr. Jesse. Oh, Dr. Jesse at filmshorts dot net. At filmshots dot net. Oh, that's right. Filmshots dot net. That's right. Right. Um, yeah, please tell us what you think about that. We're, we're also toying with the idea of sending up a voicemail so that we can hear some of your comments on the show, uh, but we haven't done that just right. yet. Um, interesting film bite. Yeah, I, I like that film bite. But, okay, so now you have an, um, a, a manager now. Yes. So tell me how you got the manager, and tell me the difference between a manager and an agent. Ah, it's a gray area, but that's all, I was trying to figure out that myself. In terms of how I got the manager... I entered the film into a handful of film festivals. Okay, that's the film... Um, the documentary. Mm -hmm. And um, I entered, among them I entered Slamdance. Mm -hmm. And then um, the VP from Slamdance, Anna Barber, contacted me mm -hmm. and said that she really loved the film and just curious about what I want to do and what my next project is, this mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so we just got in contact over email and over the phone. And then when I moved out here, we met up. Mm -hmm. and Did she buy you a ticket? No, but, uh, but that's not why I came. That's not why I came. <laughs> See, the, the film won a prize, and part of the prize is they flew me out here. So that's ah, what I knew. I was like, okay. well, I'm coming in January. All right, so she did do it. I did that's it. Pretty good. She so did do was it. it in Slam Dance? It was not in Slam Dance. We're going to have to talk they to, didn't select talk to them no. about that. Yeah, we definitely will. We talked to Dan Mervish, one of the founders of Slam Dance. Oh, really? On our right. Show, so we'll yeah, you can go on and, and listen to that. Um... Um, okay, so great. so and then the agent with the manager come from? Um, the so she's a manager at Slam Dance Media Group. Oh, okay. And um, and she's like their VP. And um, I, the way she explained it is that an agent is sort of for life, and um, sort of is more interested in you as an individual and, and sort of sculpting your career, molding your career in the future. And then when it comes to and they get get you jobs just like an agent can. Um, so some people have one or the other, and some people have both. When it comes mm -hmm. to like coming to the table and signing contracts or whatever, then they will get an agent in to like negotiate. Oh, so the manager oh, okay. is more about sculpting your life and sculpting your career path, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And oh, okay. um, ultimately, I would like to make the transition from television to film. So, and she has clients, in, like that are all over, like in television and film mm -hmm. too. Okay. And then you're saying the agent is the one who's more likely to make the deal once mm -hmm. you've exactly. scored a job or mm -hmm. whatever. That's that's pretty much true, I think. Um, now, it's time for our film bites because we're running out of time. Didn't I give mine? You get, did you give yours? I think so, didn't right. I? Yes, you did, actually. What was it? It was... Um, 
Somebody call and tell me what my film bite we'll was. We'll find please. out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my film bite is simply this: learn to listen. And I think that's something that is useful in anything that you do. You don't have to necessarily take every piece of advice that comes along, but listening helps you explore the world, helps you explore other human beings, and it helps you do a lot of things. Uh, for instance, acting is a lot about listening. Documentary filmmaking is a lot about listening, as she said. Uh, so that's my film bite. Well, I, I have a little question about that film bite, because um, I listen to music, you know, mm -hmm. um, of course when my mother's hollering at me I try not to listen, mm -hmm. but um, how, do, how do you know when you're actually listening? That's a good question. How do you know when you're listening? And with that pregnant pause, <laughs> we will say goodbye from Film Shots. Are we, are we saying goodbye? We're saying goodbye. We're saying goodbye. Thank Bye. you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Bye, y'all.